97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we've got Shane Ninen with GSP Investors. And he flew in from Greenville, South Carolina. Talk about how he went from zero to over a million dollars in net worth in just three years. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer. Every month, we help hundreds of people buy more houses at deeper margins. If you want to get better at sales, DM me the word sales on Instagram. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. And the information on this podcast alone is enough for you to become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, I assure you, you will become one. And this show is brought to you by our company, InvestorLift. Get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com and put in disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value out of this show, please tag it from below. Share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And we are constantly hiring. So if you guys are interested in working with us, DM us, let us know. And this is a live show. So please ask your questions for Shane to answer. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So first question is, what got you into real estate? Um, short answer, Jesus Christ and my wife. Uh, I'll elaborate. So I don't believe anything happens by accident. I believe that we're placed in situations and in rooms uh, with divine intervention. So that's where the, the spiritual aspect comes in. Um, I would like to give thanks to Christ for my ambition, my drive, my hustle, my God-given talent to speak to people and talk to people. And then my wife came in where she has always been supportive of anything I wanted to do from a business aspect, especially with real estate. So the culmination and the culmination of those two have uh, opened the pathway and led toward uh, where we're at in real estate right now. Got it. When, uh, I guess, what were you doing right before real estate? I'll rewind. So real estate is something that's been on my mind for we'll call it the last 15 years. I think I was first introduced to Rich Dad, Poor Dad in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. And I knew that rentals was a way that I wanted to go. I knew that rentals would be a way to financial freedom, net worth, passive income. And we just didn't know what that looked like. So I graduated from college, um, took a few hard left turns, learned a few hard lessons, and we can elaborate later if we want to. Um, Ultimately, ended up working in manufacturing. Um, when my wife and I got married, we knew that we wanted rentals. We just didn't know how to get there. We knew what most people think is that you, that you um, save up 20%, you go to the bank, you get pre-approved, you find a realtor, you buy on-market property. And we knew that that was going to be the long route, mm -hmm. the very labor-intensive route. And if we were going to ever accumulate any amount of rentals, we couldn't go that route. So I was working in manufacturing. I was reading books. Um, 
watching YouTube, just trying to to learn real estate. And we had the same thing that a lot of people get, which is the analysis paralysis. Right. You learn, you learn, you learn, but you never implement. You never take action. Um, so right before we got into real estate, that's what I was doing. I was doing manufacturing and manufacturing uh, what? So <laughs> it went from canoes and kayaks, which is in the water sport industry. And a good friend of mine from high school opened some doors for me there. We ultimately ended up in a lead processing factory. We were making lead grid that goes into car batteries and boat batteries. So between uh, water sports manufacturing and automotive battery manufacturing. What Those kind were, of money are we making doing that? Um, when we left, when I left the W2 world in October of 2020, which wasn't that long ago, I think we were making like 80 grand a year, 80 okay. grand a year, 70, 80 grand a year with some bonuses. So I'm asking this because you're mentioning, well, for two reasons, but one of them is that you mentioned that you knew you needed 20% down, right? Sure. Which is kind of like the information that we all have incorrectly. Incorrectly. Like these false assumptions that we walk around with and who knows who planted it in there, but sure. lots of false things that we knew for sure that was fact at that time. Um, and then the other thing, I guess, is uh, manufacturing. And now you went off to college. You said you took some hard lessons. So was the manufacturing what you went to college for, or is that kind of what was available to you? That was what, once again, divine intervention, right? Mm -hmm. um, I went to college and I graduated with two degrees, a business degree, which I, I minored in um, marketing at that point in time, yeah. and criminal justice. Criminal justice was my major focus. And at that point in time, when I was doing my undergrad, the plan was to get a criminal justice degree and then pursue law school. So as I was uh, finishing up my undergrad, I took the LSATs, did relatively well in the LSATs. Uh, I applied to a law school in uh, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, and got accepted. And that's when the hard lessons and the left turns and maybe so really smart guy, maybe a little too smart for your own good. And, and I was channeling it in the wrong directions at that time. But yes, correct. Right. So uh, what what were those hard lessons? And I, I'm pushing this. I'm, I'm asking these uncomfortable questions, but I think that a lot of people that listen to our show may have had similar experience. I know we've hired people with similar experiences. Sure, sure, sure. So and you and I have talked about it on Instagram, so you're right. familiar with it, right? Yes. So um, half the reason I'm here now, Steve, is, is because of the one post you made about hiring uh, bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. Hiring drug dealers and convicts. and Yeah, they have the right skill experience. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we sell, we maneuver, we're problem solvers, that yeah. kind of thing. So I've never publicly spoken about my past. Um, certain guys in my area, certain guys that know me, know me know about my past, but I did graduate college, two degrees, and the whole time I was in college and even in high school, I dabbled in illegal activity. Um, I'm not proud of it by any stretch. Um, I had all the energy and I just channeled it in the wrong direction. So during undergrad, there were a lot of drug usage. We were, you know, me and a group of roommates who I'm, we were selling drugs, using drugs, parties, and, um, after I graduated and I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, I was taking a year off and I ultimately ended up getting incarcerated. I got in trouble and got caught with a significant amount of drugs and that ultimately ended up in a, a prison sentence. Um, I was found guilty in North Carolina, uh, sentenced to 35 to 42 months in the state prison. Um, and that wasn't the end of it. So halfway through that incarceration, uh, the federal government came, the FBI, the ATF, and they had some other charges uh, for me and some roommates of mine while I was in college. Uh, we were working at UPS. Long story longer, without having to Google everything, we were basically throwing boxes over the fence. Uh, just a bunch of young guys 
stealing stuff. Doing stupid things. Doing stupid things. Not because we were bad guys. We, uh, we were opportunistic and we were young and we were crazy and we said, oh, if we steal this box of tennis shoes, then we can sell it, right? right. If we steal this box of Steph Curry jerseys, right? We can sell them. There's a <laughs> good market Keep your eyes for off them. my jersey. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, once again, I've never really spoken publicly about this, but um, I was incarcerated for seven years from uh, early 2003 to late 2009. And... Is actually while I was incarcerated, somebody handed me uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. I read it. I fell in love with it. I needed more. Uh, somebody handed me Think and Grow Rich. So all the books that, that most of the guys who've sitting in this chair who have read before, I had the opportunity to read while I was incarcerated. Yeah. And I mapped out a game plan. Um, and financial freedom was part of that game plan. When I came home from that incarceration, being a two-time convicted felon, it's hard, almost impossible to get a job. Um, I was blessed and fortunate enough that my dad, uh, he owned some sports bars and nightclubs and he put me to work in the family business and that afforded me an easy transition back into the real world. And about the time that I met my wife, I inadvertently subconsciously promised her and, and my in-laws that I would get out of the service industry, the nightclub mm -hmm. business. Once again, I didn't know how I was going to break up with my dad. You know, it's not easy to do. Once again, go back to divine intervention. My wife and I were married in September. Um, the local municipality, Malden City, came in and shut our nightclub down on the grounds that our nightclub was a public nuisance. So it saved me from having to break up with my dad. Yeah. Uh, which would have been heartbreaking on several different levels. Of course. But now I'm newly married, two months married, uh, unemployed, two-time convicted felon. I took a major hit to the ego. What am I going to do? How am I going to provide for my new wife? You know, as a man, that's what you're supposed to do, provide. Right. Um, so I started calling everybody and anybody that I knew. Reached out to several guys I went to high school with, and uh, one of them brought me in. It was a manufacturing gig. It had nothing to do with my degrees. He said, listen, I can bring you in as a temp through a staffing company. Your job will be to count widgets. You'll be a, a cycle counter. You'll make 13 or $14 an hour. He said, but what I can do, uh, I'll put you in the right situations, in the right rooms. And me and, this, me and this guy hadn't seen each other in 15 years. He knew that I was a good kid when we were growing up. Right. But here I am out of prison, two-time convicted felon, and I'm begging him for a chance. He's like, I'll sneak you in under the staffing company. I'll put you in the right circles, in the right rooms, but it's up to you to get to work on time. It's up to you to show up every day and get the job done. It's up to you to you know, hold yourself accountable. And within six months or nine months, they created this warehouse manager job for me. And I went from making you know, 12 or $13 an hour to now making 60000 a year within a very short amount of time. So um, divine intervention. Right? Yeah. From that, I was able to parlay that uh, working relationship and that opportunity to build a trust within my employers. And I just parlayed that and parlayed that. And like I said, when I left the corporate world in 2002, 20, I was a um, production manager, production supervisor, making 80 grand a year. I was over 12 guys in a Johnson Controls is the company I was working for. They're a global company. So um, every step of the way was divine intervention. And uh, no, I didn't. I think the long answer to that question was no, I wasn't using my degrees. Right. right. And uh, I well, learned some hard lessons. And the reason why I'm pushing this, right. And it might be, you know, there, someone's listening like, man, why is like Steve beating up on Shane? You know, yeah, no. <laughs> um, but like I've had multiple friends that I know that did something stupid. Right. I mean, there was one guy 
uh, who, you know, was defending, like his friend got jumped in the nightclub. He went to go defend his friend. Now he's a convicted felon mm. and the guy cannot get a regular job. Oh man. And um, I mean, there's, and that's just one instance, you one know, story. and I grew up in a mostly sheltered life. So I didn't really get to witness still witness this until I got older. But um, uh, that's why I'm so passionate about entrepreneurship is that you don't have to have like, it doesn't matter what your background is, right? If you're willing sure. to put in the work, willing to put in the hustle, you can do this for yourself. Sure. And one of the things that, you know, um, I see a lot of regulation coming down the pipeline. Uh, we're passing one in Arizona. Like, this was just announced very, very recently. Um, but there's a lot, uh, and Arizona is getting off pretty uh, cheap, but like a lot of other states, you have to become a licensed realtor. And like, my biggest fear when I hear these things, right, is these guys have the, uh, they discovered wholesaling, whatever, as a means to uh, legitimately, build financial wealth for them and their families. Sure. And if these regulations go the wrong way, oh man, these people are getting eliminated yes. from that process. So, and I think, you know, there are people that uh, listen to our show that may have a background that I Could think resonate with. can resonate with this. So that's sure. the reason why I'm, I'm harping on this point. Cause sure. as far as I know, no one else I've been in the show, I've been able to talk about it. Yeah, sure. So a lot of them have done some stupid things, sure. <laughs> just yes. not in, in the uh, circumstances that you're in. So, all right. So, you, you've been, it's been three years. So, I'm guessing you were doing real estate before you quit your job. Correct. So, um, everything with me is long-winded. So, you cut me off. I know we're on a time limit here. <laughs> so, my wife and I, we knew we wanted rentals, right? In 2017, we became very intentional about what we were going to do. And I was actively looking online for how do I get plugged in? How do I intentionally get in front of people? How do I intentionally get in the right rooms? And what I found was our local RIA, and then I found several meetup groups on meetup.com, which I don't even know if that's around anymore. It is. That's, it's um, still viable. Yeah, I, I still pay the, the, the 18 bucks a month or whatever. <laughs> Are you, do you manage a group? or you're, uh... I might one day. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I used to before COVID. So we, that's, that's ultimately the, the, the catalyst that changed everything for us and changed the trajectory of our lives was a single meetup. Uh, my wife and I went, uh, a gentleman was hosting a meetup at a Panera Bread in a very small town where we're from, easily, South Carolina. And I told my wife, hey, let's just go, let's listen, let's network, let's ask these guys some questions. And we didn't know what we were going to get out of it. So we, she, my wife and I went, we took our oldest son at that time, who was probably five, four or five years old. We went in, we raised our hands, hey, I'm Shane, I'm the new guy, I don't know what I'm doing here. I just want to be privy to the conversation. I want to be able to ask a few questions. I want to hear what you guys are talking about. And they were very, wel very welcoming. And immediately they asked us, what are, what are your goals? What are you trying to do? Well, we want rentals. We don't know how to get rentals and the same thing, save the 20%, get, go get a pre-approval letter. And they said, well, do you know any wholesalers? And uh, no, what is that? Well, have you ever thought about wholesaling? Keep in mind, this was... Um, We'll call it November 2017. Um, I had never heard of wholesaling at that time. Um, Carlton Sheets had had his, his program many years ago, but I don't even think they used the vernacular wholesaling. I don't right? think they called it wholesaling, no. They was just buy houses, no money down. Yeah, on paper, on contract, right? So mm -hmm. they get, these two gentlemen at the table were actively doing deals loosely and small operations, solopreneur kind of guys. And they, and they gave us the 90 seconds spill. You know, you, you market directly to the sellers, you go out on these appointments, you contract the property, and then you race to sell the contract. And my wife and I were like, God, oh, man, this, like everybody says, this cannot be legal, right? This, whatever they're saying is too easy. Yeah. I'm not going to go to Steve and offer to buy his house and that kind of thing. So 
what that did for us, that, that forced me, I was like, wow, it piqued our interest. I went home, immediately dove into YouTube University, right? Many mm-hmm. people talk about that. And keep in mind, this is 2017. So this was, at that point in time, uh, we were having dinner last night. We were talking about it. There was uh, Sean Terry, Kent Clothier, um, Matt uh, Thoreau or something like mm-hmm. that. Matt Thoreau. Thoreau. Um, there were very few people that were advertising this kind of stuff. On yeah, I'm not sure Max Maxwell has started yet. He, he just had, right? Yeah. So out of Winston-Salem, Max had just started. Yeah. And so his first, legitimately, his first like two or three videos were on YouTube. Yeah. And so that was enough to like propel me to the next massive imperfect action, right? Go to more meetups. So I went to more meetups. I met two other gentlemen in our local market. Um, shout out to Lafayette and Brian Howard. Um, Lafayette Dawkins. They were actively wholesaling. I introduced myself, and I, at this point in time, it wasn't a, hey, can I take you to coffee and pick your brain? It wasn't that. The conversation was, hey, I'm very interested in what you guys said. Is there any way that I can you know, help you? What if I go find some deals and we work the deals together? Just trading value at that point. And both of them were really receptive to that. They shared with me the attorney they were using. So I called the attorney. And as it turns out, the attorney went to high school with my wife. Um, called him, offered to pay for an hour worth of his time went in, asked some questions about wholesaling. Mm-hmm. And he laid it out and said, yes, it is legal if you do this, this, this. You know, if yeah. your contract says this, this, and this. So before we continue there, I want to ask you, um, you mentioned the analysis paralysis and, and, and like, is this legal, right? And yeah. I think everyone kind of... <laughs> oh yeah, you think right, Initially, right? What helped you get out of your comfort zone to, so that you would feel comfortable, you know, Taking, taking the jump. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, there was a couple things. Uh, one was meeting guys, actually physically shaking hands and meeting guys who were actively doing it. Yeah. That's probably the single biggest so just thing. getting out there and meeting the guys doing deals. Yeah, it's, it's one thing to see it on YouTube. It's one thing to see a Carlton Sheets infomercial, but it's a totally different thing when, you, when you're face-to-face with guys that say, yeah, I just closed this deal and here's what it looked like. And they yeah. give you the ABC of the transaction. That makes it really, really real. Yeah. You're living off somebody else's proof of concept. Well, that belief is so important. Because, I mean, it's not like wholesaling is a new concept. No. I mean, I remember in high school watching Carlton Sheets at, you know. Late night. Late night. It's Brad not a, got a check, right? Yeah. It's not a new concept, but it was like, oh, this is a scam. Sure. Right. Uh, and so, what, tell me about your first deal. First deal. So, uh, we learned about it at the end of 2017. We met other wholesalers and the attorneys the first part of 2018. Um, we'll say toward the end of the first quarter, going into the second quarter of 2018, we started taking massive imperfect action. We were driving for dollars the hard way, the grunt way. I was driving. My wife was riding shotgun, writing down addresses. We were going home, using county records to find property owners. Then we were using white pages and been verified and fast people search to find phone numbers. Legitimately the hard way, right? The grunt way. This is... This is hard work. Yeah, hard work. So um, we did experiment with some um, some mailers, some junk mail. At that point in time, you could go to list source and buy South Carolina data. They changed that in 2019. You couldn't do it because of the disclosure stuff. Mm-hmm. So our first deal, driving for dollars, um, we would leave the house and we'd, we would set a goal. Like we're not coming back unless we have 20 or 30 potential properties. We would do all the homework. We'd find the numbers, find the owners. Then I would go to my job, my W-2 which was from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And then I would cold call from work, right? I'd get my guys going, which would took about 30 minutes. And then the rest of the night, I'm, I'm YouTubing, I'm reading, I'm listening to podcasts, and I'm cold calling mm-hmm. from work. So I'll never forget my first deal. I called a gentleman. Uh, his name is Greg. 
left him a voice message on his, on his like hard analog voice recorder machine. Hey, Mr. Greg, you know, this is Shane Nunnan. I see you own this property, 123 Jones Avenue. Just curious if you ever thought about selling it. And, and the generic message, right? Mm-hmm. 30 minutes goes by, he calls back, calls to my cell phone. He lays into me. I'm tired of you people calling me. You know, I'll tell you like I told the other 10 guys, make me an offer. And if it works, then we, we'll have a deal. This is my, I've already fumbled through like three or four deals, right? Yeah. Scared to make an offer, scared to you know, commit. This guy's telling me, he's like, you've got yourself a deal if you make me an offer that is reasonable. I didn't know how to pull comps. I didn't know anything. I knew Zillow, Trulia, Redfin, Realtor, Remax, five or six websites. That's mm-hmm. what I knew. Okay, sir. And we talked briefly about the property. Long story short, long story longer, that deal was for a duplex over by Furman University. The gentleman had uh, three properties in Greenville County, and he was trying to liquidate those three properties in Greenville County to shift those funds to two other counties. And so he made the deal sweeter for me. He's like, hey, look, if you'll buy this one, I've got another one that I'll sell you. So our very first deal, our very first at-bat turned out to be two deals. Mm-hmm. We made 40K on the first one and 10 on the second one. So like our first, first and second deal, 50K, wow, right? Yeah, that was real. Now the proof of concept, now the, the, the hush money, the shut up money. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a game changer. My wife was in education for 10 years prior to this. She's in education with a master's degree. She's making like 45, 48,000 a year. Here we are on our first outing, first deal. We, we netted because we had gas money. That was our investment, right? Right. So we, we had netted $50,000. It was a game changer. So um, that guy, he and I are still, he's still a friend of mine, the seller. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually sold us our first rental on creative finance. He owner financed it to us. And it's funny. He just called me yesterday um, to ask me about market rents and what I'm getting for some of my rentals. So what, um, were there any challenges, any struggles on that, on that deal? On the deal, there may have been, I mean, nothing like, you know, title work, no, no title transaction so, issues. What was your very first major struggle as you transitioned into real estate? Um, I don't, I don't know, Steve, as far as difficulties. I mean, some of the difficulties that I still have to this day, like trying to turn a, a lucrative hustle into something that looks and feels and operates like a legitimate business. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this for a little over four years now. I'm in uh, Alex and Sal and Carlos. I'm in their mastermind. And I was in a mastermind before that. And I'm struggling with my biggest challenge is turning it into a fully functioning business that functions yeah. like a business. Got it. Um, so it's been four years from 2000. Yeah. 2018, 19. Yeah. Um, I imagine cause you kind of mentioned, uh, before we started that you need a Lena in your life. Yeah. Uh, so for those of you guys that don't know, Lena is our transaction coordinator, uh, for max cash offers. Um, so she, you, you need someone like that to help you integrate. So my wife does a fantastic job. She is our integrator up until this point. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, She's, she's a hero. She runs our household. She does our, fi- our personal finance budget. She manages our three kids. She, she tells me when and where to show up and how much to write the check for, that kind yeah. of thing. And, and with our business, she is the integrator. When it comes to CRMs, I'm not a tech-savvy guy. Um, I'm 42 years old. Like That's mm. kind of uh, my years. My tech years are beyond me, right? So I do need um, – right now I've got a great team. I've got two acquisition guys, and I've got two VAs that are just rock stars. And we're a very, very small team. I would challenge you though on that. Okay. Um, I mean, you did. You said you did well in the LSAT. Yes. 
So yeah, I have an analytical mind. Just uh, arguably, yeah. Yeah. So I think an analytical brain can figure it out if it was important enough for them. To- That's true. You make time for what's a priority, right? Yeah, right. Because like you, you don't score well in the LSAT if you're if you're, if you're, you're slack. If you're if you're a technical, if you could not uh, figure that out. So, um, so you're trying to, uh, I guess, on your path to creating that worth, right? Because the people that are listening, they're tra- talking about like how I became worth a million in, 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 in three, years. three years. Was it predominantly through high active income or is it predominantly through rental properties? Like what was your trajectory? What was, yeah. the, what was the path? Mm-hmm. So this is going to sound utterly insane, um, but it was completely by accident, right? My wife and I did not know uh, what our net worth was until recently, until you know, six months ago. Mm-hmm. And we were having lunch with your guy, uh, Josh, before, right? And we're like, dude, we didn't even know. Like, we didn't know what we were worth. We yeah. were just going through the motions. We were doing deals. We were taking down rentals. Um, we hadn't slowed down. or It didn't, it didn't dawn on us to even try to think what our net worth was. It didn't matter. You, you right. can't spend your net worth, right? No, you can't. So, um, our net worth, when, we, when the title of the podcast, you know, went zero to a million in three years, right? So, that is all... Um, equity that's in properties that we have by way of rental properties. Those mm-hmm. are our rental properties. And um, we all, we got them by accident. Like um, wholesaling is a tool or vehicle, right? As you know, that allows you to kind of cherry pick what you right. want to keep, right? So if you're a fix and flip guy, wholesaling is your tool or vehicle that allows you to cherry pick the best, the best of the best. Yeah. Same thing with rentals. Wholesaling allows you to cherry pick the best of the best. And even very early on when I was going on these seller appointments, I really didn't use the verbiage creative financing. I didn't know what that was, but I, I had seen and heard and been exposed to seller carry, right? Like, yeah. would you be willing to carry a note? Would you be willing to, if I came with some down payment, would you carry the rest? And so we, we acquired all of our rentals. We never went to the bank to get any one of our rentals. Um, at least our first five rentals were done that way, where we negotiated some type of shape, some shape, form, or fashion of seller carries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the last portion of our rentals, now that we've transitioned and built reputations for ourselves, we can get a little private money. So that's where we're at now. We buy, borrow the private money, take down the rentals, and then anticipate a burr. Well, we try to burr yeah. out. And we've got a handful that we're trying to burr right now. So right now, I guess, talking about active income first, mm-hmm. uh, how many wholesales are you doing at the moment? Because we're not so systemized and so granular, um, some months is three deals. Mm-hmm. This month's going to be a phenomenal deal, a uh, phenomenal month. We're going to do like six straight deals. Yeah. And uh, they're juicy deals. Like our average spread right now, we're seeing is like 17K. Yeah. So um, active and passive. So active, it fluctuates. Yeah. Uh, one of my acquisitions, guys, I said we have two. One of them, uh, Ty, I just brought him on literally about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So he's locked up two or three deals. You know, obviously, we got to get him to the finish line. Um, my wife about a month ago came in and looked at our CRM and she kind of like coached us on like becoming more organized with yeah. our follow-up, more systemized with our follow-up. That, that in and of itself is going to be a game changer. So whereas before, you know, one month we might do three deals and the next month we might do one deal. The next month we do two deals. Based on what my wife was able to do with our CRM, based on the fact that I have two guys in-house who are now nurturing the inbound leads, all three of us are manning the follow-up. All three of us are going on the appointments. Like I, I really feel like we're turning the curve in this lucrative hustle business mentality. So the consistency will will come. What is a 
What is the median price in Greenville? 230K. 230K. So, because I, 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 again, I want to have someone, right? If someone were in that market, right? Or in a market where, uh, what's the general population approximately in that area? Um, no, we were just talking about this other day. I think it's projected like 1.5 million. Okay. So, in the state of South Carolina? Market about a million or two million. And price points is around 200 to 250. Yeah, sure. Then the way to replicate what you've done is to focus on acquiring rentals even before quitting your job. Sure. And then building a wholesale company or not even building a wholesale company, actively wholesale so you can buy more rentals. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is something I've had a couple of guys from the Midwest, right? So obviously you're not the Midwest, you're the East Coast, but I had a lot of uh, friends from the Midwest and, and in some ways I'm envious of them because over there you can buy a bunch of houses for like under 150K. Oh yeah. And you can burn the heck out of them and make a lot of money that way <laughs> yeah. and not pay taxes. We can't quite do that here. No. Uh, so uh, just again, for everyone that's listening is to have the intention to buy rentals sure. wholesale for some active income. Absolutely. And then also benefit, you know, all of us, we all did from appreciation. Yes. Yeah. So three of the rentals that we bought last year um, are in a small town called Easley, South Carolina. Uh, we paid 72000 $72, for three, uh, each house. We bought three of them, each one of them for $72,000. Mm-hmm. Um, those houses, two of them are rented now for like eight fifty a month. One of them is rented for $1,100 a month. So we're in a different like price point demographic. In the, I don't know too many places in the country where you can do that. Where right. You can buy a $72,000 livable, safe, comfortable home and rent it out for $1,100 a month. Yeah. So, um, I kind of hit that on a high level. So if you are talking to a younger version of yourself or you're talking to someone that's listening right now, was there anything that I missed, anything you want to hit on? Cause it, it sounds inconceivable, right? Unbelievable. Like just like we didn't believe wholesaling was a real thing. Sure. Someone listening to this right now might think, Oh my God, like you can't make a million, you can't become a millionaire right in three years. Sure. Is there anything that I, I miss out on that you want to hammer on a little harder or emphasize? No. So just, I think just being intentional, right? Like mapping out like a, a brief game plan. It doesn't have to be an organized game plan. Like my wife and I hit it by accident, like fumbling around. We're just dribbling right. on the court, right? Mm-hmm. Just jumping around, taking free throws. And we hit it, right? Um, not because we're super smart, not because we're super analytical, because we were willing to take action, right? We were very intentional about the groups we were in, the rooms we were in, um, and we, at least me, I was always very vocal about what my goals were as far as buying rental properties. And I th- as a society and as a culture, like if you're in those rooms and you raise your hand and say, hey, I want to I wanna buy a rental. I want to have rentals. The guys who have rentals want to pull you up. Like mm-hmm. they will help you out. And yeah. being vulnerable and being honest and being transparent about what you do know and what you don't know, what you're strong about and what you're not strong about, being able to talk about that people want to help those kind of folks out. And if they see you helping yourself, at least I'm that way. If I see somebody that's trying, I'll go out of my way to help them. And that's kind of, it's been one of the key things that's helped me thus yeah. far. Yeah. I, I can say for sure. Right. I mean, anytime uh, we see anybody that wants it and you can tell they'll put in the work, it's rewarding yeah. to help them. Sure. But then on the flip side, you get that guy that wants to pick your brain. Yeah. <laughs> and doesn't have hustle and is not going to take any action. Yeah. It's soul sucking. Yeah. Right. It's, it's awful. Um, all right. So it's funny. The title of the show is how to become a millionaire in three years. But something you want to talk about is how dollar amount does not equate to success. Yeah. Right. So you want to speak on that? 
So it's funny. I was I was having dinner. A good friend of mine named Miles Barrio flew out here to uh, Arizona with us or to be here with us. And we were having dinner last night and we were talking about success. And once again, I said, I'm in uh, a couple of different masterminds and everybody wants to talk about success and have a dollar amount on it, right? There's a big push in our industry when you're in conversations like, how many deals did you do last month? What did you gross last month? Um, and my, my thing internally is like, what does it matter? Right? How do you define success? And Miles and I were talking last night, like what his definition of success is may be different than my def- definition of success. And his may have a dollar amount, whereas mine does not have a dollar amount and vice versa. And what we came up with is we both agreed that success is being able to live life on your own terms. Um, some people aspire to have a big team. Miles and I, neither one aspire to have a huge team. Mm-hmm. Um, some people aspire to wear $2,000 Dolce Gabbana shoes, right? Miles and I don't aspire to wear you know, Louis Vuitton shoes. Uh, we would rather be able to take our kids to Phoenix Suns games, right? We'd rather be able to take our kids to their baseball games and be present at the practices and the ballet. and That's success, right? Yeah. Um, not having to report to a boss and ask for vacation days. If, if you know, you've got a break in your homeschooling schedule and your wife says, let's go to, you know, Tennessee or Florida, you can, let's book a trip and go. Right. That's success. So, so living life on your own terms. Absolutely. Do you feel like you're doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have a target? Like, you know, I want to hit this dollar amount, uh, nest egg, whatever, where I can like rest. So it's funny because we have, um, in our market, um, I think you and I were talking in the hallway, there's, there's at least a dozen guys in the Greenville Spartanburg mm-hmm. market that do what we do. And I'm friends with them. And I think half of them are probably watching. So Renee Lopez, Mike Fernandez, uh, Jeremiah Phillips, all you guys, uh, Milton. So we, we always, when we have lunch, we have conversations. There's one guy, Chris Fox, uh, his numbers, his, his question is always, what is your ride off into the sunset number? Right. What does that look like? Is it a monthly dollar amount? Is it a net worth amount? Is it a property? Is it a door count? And for me, my wife and I were talking about it. Like, I just enjoy the hustle, man. Like, I enjoy, I still go on a seller appointments. I love doing that. So the end goal for me, like right now we're building a new house. Like, mm-hmm. that's our goal for this year. Like, get my wife her new house built. Um, I'd like to do six more flips this year. We did four last year. Do six flips this year. Um, three more rentals. Yeah, aggressive. That's, that's, that's a good number. It's not too aggressive to buy three more rentals. Um, a five-year goal would maybe be to get into some small multifamily development. Like that, that looks cool, looks yeah. sexy, right? But um, I don't have a dollar amount. I don't have a, a monthly number that is my right off into the sunset, never see Shane on and again number. I don't have that. I'm only asking that question because this is a conversation that we're having at our dinner table, right, at home. And my wife's like, when are you going to hang it up? Like, when are you going to slow down? It's never. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah, no. And anytime I, 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 I've ever heard anyone actually come up with that number and hit it, they're not happier. Yeah, no. Right? It was just yeah. a target. It had nothing to do with actually what they were trying to accomplish. Sure. And I'm with you, right? The journey. The fun is in the journey. Um, so there's some cheap marketing that you really uh, geek out on. Yeah. So um, I've been invited to speak at our local RIA a couple times, and mm-hmm. I've been invited to speak uh, in, in December in Arizona. And one like key takeaway, if there's anybody listening to this, right, and I want to provide some value or tip or trick or something that I think could help you would be to look around, you take a lay of the landscape and figure out where you can get your free or cheap marketing, right? And this isn't something that I came up on on my own. Um, other people that are doing it longer and better than I am kind of shared their tips and tricks and I've taken it and kind of twisted it and molded it. 
One of which is Facebook Live videos, right? Yeah. Um, Bill Allen uh, did this thing. It's a 500K challenge. Uh, and you can log on and register and pay. And the whole premise of this 500K challenge is, is within 30 days, you know, you raise $500,000 in private money. One of the tips in that 500K challenge is going live on Facebook for 30 days in a row. And I did that. And then at the end of that, you know, it's awkward, you know, getting on Facebook Live. Oh, yeah. And, hey, here's what I'm doing. And should you show a project? A little awkward, right? Um, but what I found was that people, it resonated with a lot of people. And then people would like it. People would comment. People would share. But ultimately what it did, it gained you free advertisement. So mm -hmm. every day you're talking about what you're doing, what project you're working on. You can even ask folks like, hey, I'm looking for a flip in this area. Or, hey, we're finishing a flip in this area. You know anybody looking to buy it? And so there was, that was free advertising. So don't ignore the Facebook Live. You know, it's free. And you can do it anytime, anywhere, for any length of time. Uh, so that's one. The second is uh, becoming an authority. Like, I did it by accident, right? And not to say that I am an authority. I don't want to say that by any stretch. But in our little local market in Greenville, South Carolina, you remember I said I got started in a meetup. A meetup is what changed our life. So I wanted to reciprocate that. I wanted to do that and provide that atmosphere for the next investor or for the next chain nine. And so I got a notification one day by accident from meetup.com. Hey, so-and-so has not paid their dues. They've resigned as the facilitator of this meetup group. Would you like to become the facilitator of this meetup group? Have you seen those? I have not. Okay, so that's what happens. If you don't pay your dues, they send a blast out to the entire group. So I got this email. It's like for 79 bucks, I can be the facilitator of this group. And this was a real estate group that had 200 and something members. I was like, shoot. Yeah. I couldn't get my debit card fast enough. Right. So for 79 bucks for a year, now I'm the facilitator or the administrator of this already established real estate networking group. Um, they sent that out to uh, Renee Lopez and I, this is early. This was like 2018. We're like, how can we monetize this or how can we convert this? And, what can we do with this? First and foremost, we just wanted to give back, right? Secondly, we wanted to foster a community of people that wanted to share and collaborate and get together and build networks and build relationships. Thirdly, we just like to party and have a good time, right? Like foster that kind of environment. So we, we did our very first meetup, I don't know, the end of, the middle or end of 2018, I think. And we had such a good response. We invited, we went in our local Facebook groups and advertised, hey, look, we're having a real estate meetup at this barbecue place come on out. We gave away tickets for like free drinks. People loved it, right? It was a meetup a little bit different than any other meetup that we had had at that point in time. Uh, it's, it was, have you ever been to Donnie Ruffin's thing in Texas? The big I have one? not yet, not yet. Oh, so it's like, it was like that, but like on a very, very miniature scale, right? Okay. Shout out to Donnie Ruffin too, by the way. That's a killer event. Um, <clears throat> what that did, that, that transitioned and positioned me to look like an authority on the subject matter in our area. And anybody that knows me that comes to our little lunches will know that I'll be the first one to say, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, four <laughs> years in, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still trying to figure it out. But because I was willing to take that action and become the facilitator of that meetup group, organize and orchestrate the meetup, now, by accident, inadvertently, people are looking at you like, oh, this guy, he knows what he's doing. He's got it figured out. He must have. And, and that's not the case at all. You're just, <laughs> you're the one that makes the most noise, right? right. So. Even now, like how I got in this chair today is not because I'm the biggest or best in, in Greenville, South Carolina, or even some of some hot shot on the East Coast. It's because I've made a lot of noise. It's top of mind. Yeah. So I met you twice and both times I said, Steve, how can I get on the podcast? <laughs> so um, 
those are the two tips and tricks, like the free advertising. The one would be Facebook Lives, right? Mm-hmm. Just tell the world who you are, tell the world what you're doing, invite them into your world, share ideas with them. Secondly, if there's not a meetup group in your area, host one. You know, spend five hundred bucks and maybe a thousand, rent out a venue, or go negotiate with a local restaurant or bar and get their private room. Go into your local Facebook groups. You know, if you're in Austin, Texas, right? There's a Austin, Texas real estate investors Facebook page. Yeah, find that, utilize that. Well, and I think it's I like that you bring up this um, 30 day challenge. Yes. Um, what do you, do you know what year that was? Um, 2000, that was 2020. 2020. Yeah. Um, because I tried to do that challenge for myself. Like it was a private thing and secretly I was just trying to do for myself. Okay. Couldn't do it. I think like five days, six days. I was like, this is, I can't do this anymore. Was it Bill Allen? Uh, No, no, no. It was the same time I launched my podcast. I was like, Hey, I'm going to go live every day for 30 days. I'm going to launch a podcast. Like those are the two things I said I was going to do. After five days, like, well, I'm not doing that anymore. This is awful. Yeah. But I'll do the podcast thing. Yeah. So, uh, that's worked out too. So, um, private money is a game changer. Yes. how has private money changed the game for you? So private money. So everything boils back to the wholesaling, right? Wholesaling was the tool or the vehicle. I never thought about private money. You know, private money was, you, you might read about it in a book, but if you don't understand the mechanics, you skim over it. And uh, without getting too long-winded, I'll, I'll try to explain how we stumbled into private money and what it has been able to do for us. So as a wholesaler, I'm wholesaling deals to fix and flippers. Fix and flippers are getting their money from somewhere, somebody. Nine times out of 10, it's not the bank, right? So in our market, in our area, I was selling deals to the fix and flippers. One day I get this random text message from a guy. Hey, um, I'd like to go have coffee with you. I see what you're doing. I like what you're doing. I want to see if there's a way we can work together. When they say that, work together versus pick your brain. Okay, now we're going to go have coffee, right? So I go meet the gentleman. He explains who he is. He's like, hey, I've been loaning money to this guy, this guy, and this guy. They're doing flips. I noticed I keep seeing your name and your company pop up on the HUDs. I was just going to ask, are you doing any fix and flips? At that point in time, we hadn't. We had done um, two light renovations to two rentals at this point in time. But as far as like full-blown fix and flips, we hadn't. And uh, he basically extended his hand and said, hey, look, the next deal that you get, if you want to fix and flip it, give me a shout. Let's talk. And Basically, he was willing to fund the entire purchase. Mm-hmm. He was willing to fund the entire rehab for a very nominal, you know, what you and I would agree was is a nominal return on investment. And it turned out to be a game changer, right? Yeah. Um, we don't have to walk into a bank. You don't have to fill out an application. You don't have to wait to see if you're approved. Um, literally, right now on my cell phone, without bragging or boasting, right? And I know Austin Rutherford can get $20 million, but Shane <laughs> Nunn can only get like a million, right? Yeah. So on my cell phone, I can text one guy and say, hey, I need 250000 And he's going to come back with three questions. What's the address of the property? What's the scope of work look like? How long is it going to take you? And who do I wire the money to? Mm-hmm. That's it. That's yeah. it. It's a beautiful thing. Um, there's a guy in my market, Josh Dennison. He's like a big brother to me. This guy has, I don't want to put him on blast, but he's got access to big money. This guy can do 12 to 16 flips it, it, simultaneously at any given time with other people's money. Yeah, Private money uh, is a game changer. The, all kind of doors open up to you. You can. Yeah. So well, just for everyone, right. I mean, this is something that, um, even Chris Rude's like, he's, he's been, you know, really hard yes. on this, right? Like if you can find buyers or if you can find sellers, you can find buyers and you can find money. Like there's not much else you need to, yeah. to, to figure out. Um, so, and, and Josh Edison's here, he says that, uh, uh, who is his hero in your phone? 
Josh Dennison is my hero. Yeah. Shout out to Josh Dennison. And uh, Michael Fernandez and, uh, and Lafayette both say hi. So uh, before we jump into the questions, there's two different things I want to do okay. uh, out, of the, out of the norm. First is wanted to present this to you. Oh, my goodness. So we got this right here. Plaque for Shane and Lauren Ninen. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Millionaires. So we didn't oh. figure out the mic logistics, so okay. I'm just going to have to shake your hand from over here. We'll take yeah. some better pictures later on. Okay. Well, let's see. Hold on. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. But congratulations, right? Number four out of 100. Oh, my goodness. So now, now I'm going to have uncles and cousins and stuff calling out of the woodworks. <laughs> it's tied up in the houses. He can't give you any money. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> a good buddy of mine, like Jenny Smith and Jaden Smith from Charleston, South Carolina, we have a joke with... What is high net worth and $5? What can you buy? Mm -hmm. A coffee, right? Yeah. That's all you can get. Yeah. Net so. worth doesn't do much for you besides, you know, you're, you're more financeable and uh, that's, you can liquidate yes. <laughs> if you ever need access to capital. So other thing I want to do, because we've never done this before. Okay. Uh, but you were kind of mentioning that you've been at this for four years and you kind of struggle on the, the turning this into a business. Sure. So I like to just spend maybe 10, 15 minutes just kind of talking about what the struggle is. Okay. Um, and then hopefully, you know, people that are listening get some value out of it. Sure, right? absolutely. Like we don't, like I said, I've never done this before normally, you know, okay. charge quite a bit of money for that kind of stuff. Uh, so let's the talk about- seat. Steve Trang's hot seat. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, so let's talk about like what, what's going on, where the struggles are. Like what, what would you say is the biggest pain point as far as turning it into a business? And I, by the way, I hope you're okay. I'm going to yeah. say some really hard things. Yeah, so. yeah, no, here we go. Yeah. All right. Um, the old cliche, you don't know what you don't know, right? Right. Um, I've heard and I've been in rooms where guys say, you know, if you don't know your KPIs and you don't know your numbers, you don't have a business. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I was having lunch with a, a mutual friend of ours, Willie Coleman, uh, a few months ago. Yeah. And we were both kind of, you know, crying on each other's shoulders about the lack of KPIs. Man, Willie, you've been to my <laughs> workshop. What the heck? Anyway. <laughs> Willie's, he's making too much money. So, um, and he and I, at that point in time, we're like, we know how much money we're spending every month. Yes. And we know how much money's coming in. And we know what the net is. Mm -hmm. As long as that net's good, we're good. Right. right? Um, and I think a lot of it, and I don't want to make excuses, but a lot of it uh, is based on like your background, where you were raised. And in South Carolina, we're very relaxed. Things are much slower. Mm -hmm. Living expenses are very low. Right. If a guy's netting, netting 200 grand, 250 grand a year, he can live like a king. Yeah. He can drive whatever car he wants to drive. He can live where he wants. So as long in as most cities. In most cities, yeah. yes. So, if you're doing volume, you know Willie's doing big volume. We're doing decent volume. Mm -hmm. For us to like get granular with it, like what is my cost per lead? I should be embarrassed to sit here and say mm -hmm. that I don't know. Yeah. But whatever we're doing, I know it's working, right? Yeah. So here's what I'll, I'll answer to that. Okay. Right. Uh, would you agree, or do you feel like today is harder to wholesale than it was a year ago? No. You don't think it's harder? No. Okay. So you're uh, the exception. Okay. Right. So all across the board, across the country, it's getting harder okay. uh, in the fact that there's just more, more competition, right? Sure. People are, in, are learning from YouTube, you, you know, like, yeah, we're part of that. Yeah. Right. Um, there's free video, Instagram, whatever. Sure. And this cor courses are really cheap. You know, you can sure. buy a reasonable course, for like a thousand bucks. Sure. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of information out there. And uh, 10 years ago, you know, if you got a hold of a motivated seller, if you knew who was motivated and you had their address and you can get their phone number, 
man, you were You're killing it, it yeah. right? Like there is, you had almost no competition, right? Sure. Like people had, that had IDI were not telling everyone else they had IDI, right? Sure. That was 10 years ago. Um, today, everyone knows who's motivated True. and everyone has their phone number True. and everyone has a dialer and a VA <laughs> on that dialer. <laughs> True, I agree. Right? So it's just harder, right, today. And so the reason why uh, the KPIs are important, it's not for today, I True. would argue, right? It's that, when the business changes, you need to be able to pivot or change with. Well, it. you'll know sooner, sure, right? So, like one of the things I, uh, one of the things I do personally in managing my businesses is I want to know KPIs at a high level. But one of the more important KPIs to me is what was our profit and loss last month? Sure, right? Where all our expenses? What were? Yes. What was our profit last month? And because I have that, I can now project. So P and L is a thirty day late, right? Like you learned that. You know what your business looked like 30 days ago. Sure. You don't know what it looks like today. You just know exactly. what it looks like 30 days ago. The pipeline kind of gives you an idea what the revenue is going to look like in the next 30 days. But now with the P&L and uh, being able to project like a revenue, knowing what expenses are typically, I know how much cash I have today and I know how much cash I'm going to have in 30 days. Sure. And that gives me the kind of crazy confidence to pull, tr- pull the trigger on something that someone else is not as clear yeah. can make their decisions. And look, I'm not sitting here to tell you guys like, I've got it all figured out. Yeah. Right? It's just, I know like the first nine, 10 years of my career, you I f- kept thinking, I'm making a lot of freaking money and where the heck is it? Yes. Right? You might have had those similar thoughts. Oh, absolutely. Right? And so that's why I think the KPIs are important. Not so much that, you know, we're talking about cost per lead, cost per deal, cost per contract. Like these things are important, but they're not going to crush your business. Sure. Right? Lack of transactions is going to cl- kill yes, your business. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Or overspending is going to kill your business. Sure. But those are things that, that's the reason why I think it's important is that when the, when the winds change, you'll know sooner sure. than the guy that's, that doesn't know his KPIs. Sure. What would you say would be your, somebody like myself, what mm-hmm. would be the top, say, three or four KPIs that I should go home tomorrow and figure out and then monitor those four? Um, I think for us, the single most important KPI to us as a, as a wholesaling company is actual first appointments. And people don't really track that. They Actuals versus appointments. Actual first appointment. Okay. So most people track appointments. Okay. Right? Which is important. Sure. But what happens with salespeople, if I say, Shane, I need you to go on four appointments, you might go to meet this one seller three times. You count that as three appointments. Mm, okay. Right? I mean, just talking about salespeople in yeah. general, right? Yeah. So uh, we count only the actual first appointment, the first legitimate at bat. Okay. Uh, as a second appointment, a follow appointment, that doesn't count, right? That's just expected. That's just the bare minimum. Sure. We want to know how many actual first appointments. Uh, we don't track offers. Um, okay. My personal philosophy is I think offers are an overrated statistic, uh, statistic right? Uh, I think actual first appointments, actual legitimate opportunities for us to buy someone's house. Okay. So that is the single most important metric to us was AFAs. And then um, before that, uh, qualify leads. Okay. And before that, leads. So okay. leads, qualify leads, actual first appointments, contracts. Those are, okay. I would say the. My the, wife is in here. I need you to write that down. Okay. I'll be on the replay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, no, good stuff. Yeah. But going back to hiring, you know, building into turning into a business, um, I think, A, you're not the person to do that, right? You're the visionary, you're the dreamer. Sure. And I look in every relationship, whether it's, you know, husband, wife, or other circumstances, right? There's a dreamer and there's a doer. Sure. You can't do these things anymore right you're you're the relationship guy obviously 
right? I mean, you're talking about Facebook lies and private lenders and this and that. Yes. Uh, Ria's like, you're obviously a relationship guy. You're the, the visionary. So you need someone else behind to execute, right? Whether it's your wife or someone else, there has to be someone else that systemize all this. So is that what you guys in the, in the bigger spaces, and you guys would refer to that as your COO, right? Your integrator. Yeah. So, um, yeah, whether it's uh, Lena, right? Sure. So, I mean, like, so we have, and again, like, not trying to, like, harp, you know? We yeah, got, sure. Uh, so we got Lena, who's helping Max execute Max Cash Offers, a wholesale company. Uh, we got uh, Xander and Elias, who are running our media company. Mm-hmm. We got Larry, uh, who's running our education company. And we got Summer, who's running our brokerage wow. and title company. Um, and then we got Jaden, who oversees all of them. Okay. To make sure that everyone's delivering their daily bricks. Mm. Their daily KPIs. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. And then I get to play. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yes, the, the, the integrator, the CEO, whatever. Um, I think, like, like, I think that's like the most key hire for everybody. And sure. we don't want to necessarily go hire this person. Uh, whether it's a concern of, uh, can I afford this person? How do I find this person? Whatever. Um, one thing I've said to people before that are like looking to, how can I afford this person? You know? Yeah, sure. Um, have you had how, that? Can you, how can you afford not to? Right? Like how much well, that's what really? they say. That's the easy answer, yeah. right? Yeah. Like well, you can't afford not to have this person. But let me ask you, like, have you thought about like, I can't afford to spend, or I don't want to spend 50, 60K on a person or 80K. Like, have, has that thought crossed your mind? No, it hasn't. I'm okay with spending the money, right? Okay. Uh, my wife and I, we, we have intelligent conversations about, right. you know, where do we put this money? What's the best ROI? Mm-hmm. And, and I think collectively, we're okay with, with hiring the right person. Yeah, the so challenge then. for us has been locating and, and finding the right person. We've had a couple of people that came in and out. And How are you finding this person? Uh, the first one was like a family referral. The second one, we used uh, WiseHire, if, you know, if you're mm-hmm. familiar with WiseHire. Yeah. And it comes with... Um, not predictive index is another one like the um, yes. this this profile, mm-hmm. and then we bring them in, we interview them, we filter down, and I think we we lost the last one just because the way our business is structured at that point in time, we didn't have uh, medical or four hundred one k or insurance and benefits. All of us, yeah, and and this was a younger girl. Uh, she was probably right for the seat. She was with us for six months or so, and I think she was trying to have a child, and we didn't have medical, so. And her husband, she had to leave. How actively are you looking for talent? So that's that's where we're at right now. It's a great question. We we are not. We're we're stagnant right now. So, so. I think this is the next part of your business, right? Uh, and I see this a lot with sure. a lot of the, regardless of the industry, is that um, people that want to grow to systemize their business, you need people. Sure. And like, we know how to find motivated sellers. There's blueprints, there's masterminds, there's courses, sure. there's YouTube. Like, there's all this out there. And it's sexy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you can post this wholesale check or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But no one takes that same approach with finding qualified candidates. That's a great point. Right? They're like, oh, I'm going to post this on Craigslist. I didn't have anybody. <laughs> ah, this Craigslist doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Right? But if you had that same approach of po- looking for a motivated seller, you would, would have a business. You right? wouldn't have a business. Exactly. Right? So it's taking the same exact approach. Okay. It's marketing to find talent. Selling them, which is the interview, sure, and closing them, right? Which is and, the sale, yeah. and then fulfilling, which is like your dispo. Like there's the same parts of the business, yeah, but we don't treat talent the same way we that's, treat. That's great. That's, uh, that's uh, good stuff. There. The talent. So anyway, I, I'm hoping that people that are watching got some value out of there because I think these are things that when you're talking about, you know, you've been doing this for four years and there, there's some challenges here. Like I think it's really important to uh, you're talking about living life on your own terms. Sure. 
once you got the right people, then it really, then you yeah. can really live your life, life yeah. on your own terms. So, all right, let's go into the questions. Unless there's something else you wanted to ask. No, I just, I, I just I haven't had a chance to thank you publicly, like on the show, for having me here. Yeah. And uh, this has been one of my goals, one of my milestones. And you know, today is a success. You know, the award aside, the award is great. Thank you for the award. But just being here and being able to have this platform and have this exposure and, and to be in the room with you having this conversation. It's, thank you. Oh. Uh, many of the guys that I look up to, and I'm going to name drop here in a few minutes. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like Chris Jefferson is a huge influence. Like when I listen to your podcast and, I, and as I have listened to it for the last two years, there are certain ones that kind of resonate with me and stick out with me. Uh, Tyler Austin, great guy out of Florida. Um, Austin Rutherford, great guy. Um, even as most recent as David Richter, right? So, mm-hmm. Shout out to David for writing the Profit First uh, for Real Estate Investors book. So um, I, it's an honor, a great honor, and a great privilege to to be here and to share this experience and to have this. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. it's my pleasure. And also thank you because we started from episode one that we want to create 100 millionaires. And you're the first person really? <laughs> that will actually prove, right? Because people, in, like, they sure. submit the inquiry like, hey, I'm a millionaire. I was like, okay, you need to prove it. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to mail you a plaque. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Right? If you can't prove it. Just like we asked for HUDs. Yeah, sure. Right? We asked for proof that you're a millionaire. Yeah. And you're the first person, actually, to do it. So, I thank you. Shout out to my CPA, Mark Zhu. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Mark Zhu, for uh, validating that for us. But you're the first person to actually do it. And I, I, it's important to me, right? Like, sure. I said it from episode one, and I still absolutely mean I'm so passionate about creating millionaires. Sure. So. Thank you for helping me see my vision uh, wow. happening. Thank you. Um, all right. So questions. Uh, first one on YouTube. Michael, personally, how often are you following up? <laughs> Great question. So on a daily basis, really, because um, mm-hmm. I'm still very much uh, working in the business. I haven't elevated or graduated to the point where I'm working on the business. And truthfully, like I enjoy doing it. Like, in 2018, when we made that first $50,000 assignment, it was because I was on the phone. I was the one calling. I was the one following up. I was the one going on the appointment. I, four, three and a half, four years later, I still do it because I love it. Like I love the interaction. So to answer your question, Michael, um, I have two guys in-house. Um, we are filtering and following up with leads. Um, shout out to my wife who integrated our CRM and made it a little more easier to do that uh, with drip campaigns and drip follow-ups. and task reminders. So, um, yeah, I'm still personally following up, but I have two guys in house. Shout out to Josh and Ty. Uh, they're holding me down while I'm in Arizona. So yeah. Perfect. Um, and then what keeps you going on the tough days? I think the hunt, the, the, the thrill of the hunt, right? I can sit here and say my family, my kids, right? Mm-hmm. I could, all the typical answers, my why. And ultimately, yes, at the end of the day, I got to feed my family. I got to provide for my family. But at least this way, with the divine intervention that we've talked about from the beginning, I get to do that. I get to feed my family, provide for my family, doing something I absolutely love, right? Uh, the hunt, the thrill of the hunt, the thrill of the kill, eating what you kill. That's yeah. what keeps me going on the bad days. So I appreciate that you say this, you know. Um, again, going back to having difficult conversations around the dinner table at home, sure. right? Like, you know, the question is like, when are you going to stop going? Like, when am I going to stop? Yeah. The other question was, you know, like, are you doing this for you or for the family? Sure. And I told her the honest truth. I'm doing this for me. You yeah. know, like that's not what probably a wife wants to hear. Sure. But the truth of the matter is if I was doing it for the family's basic living, I could have stopped a long time ago. You could sell cars. You could go work at yeah. Toyota and, like, and feed the family. I could yeah. right, I can go back to Intel. I can go <laughs> yeah. find some sort of software job, whatever. Like if I was doing this just to feed the family. Sure. 
There are easier ways. There are much easier ways, right? So I don't think she wanted to hear that, but I also can't lie. Um, So uh, Karen uh, Mirrors on YouTube, how often does market cycle affect the ability to burn and create net worth? So like, uh, for example, she doesn't think it would work well in 1990 or 2006. I'm not sure if I'm even qualified to answer that question, right? (laughs) Because I'm so new, right? Right. Market cycles or market shifts, what are those, right? I've only been in it since 2018. Yeah. It's only been good times. Making money is easy right now. Mm -hmm. The burr cycles, I think with some inflation and some of the interest rates going up, it may get more difficult. Sure. Uh, We're trying to burr two properties right now, and there's uh, asset-based lending, there's DSCR lending, Mm -hmm. and then there's lending where they want to look at your personal credit score. Yeah. And how bankable are you? So I'm not the one that's qualified enough to be sitting here educating or speaking on that. Um, I would encourage you to learn the difference between asset-based lending, DSCR lending, and um, personal guarantor lending. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you can answer her question. Yeah, I'll just add to it real quick because I got I got the chance to get traumatized in 2007. You know, that's when I cut my teeth. Sure. Um, and so uh, what I saw in that time, in the time of tight crunches where there's less money available, you don't pay 80%. Like right now, I can move a deal in Phoenix for 93% of market value, yes. right? I can tie it up and move it. And some people are t- us moving it for higher, right? Yeah, but we can tie it up. Yeah, they're moving higher. Yeah, we can tie it for 80% and move it for 93% on, on a house that needs work, right? Sure. But during 2007, 2008, 2009, like not me, but peers of mine were regularly buying it at 50% of market value. Wow. You can burr that house. Anytime. Right? It doesn't matter how tight the credit is. Yeah, yeah. You can burr that house. So uh, I think if the market changes, we adjust sure. and we could, st- there's no reason why you couldn't do it depending on the market. Like I said, I'm not excited about doing that in the Phoenix market. Uh, Instagram, uh, wildlife. Uh, did you quit your job while wholesaling or you bought rentals to replace your job? Um, combination of both. Um, I don't know how much time do we have. Are we on the time crunch here? No, we're good. We're good. Okay. So after that first $50,000 deal, like I was ready to quit my job then. Right. But, uh, once again, my wife being the more intelligent of the two, it's like, wait a minute, this could be beginner's luck. Let's not just burn the ships yet. So we, we developed systems. I don't want to say we developed systems. We were actively wholesaling, consistently wholesaling, doing deals. And uh, we set aside, we came to a, a line in the sand where we said, hey, look, I need to quit my job. I'm, I'm losing money uh, by, by not quitting my job. So at that point in time, we mapped out a game plan and said, what does our financial snapshot look like? Like, what do we need to live and sustain for the next six months? No, a year. It was a year. In our family life, what, how much money? What does that dollar amount equate to? What do we need to live, float, manage, and, and not have to sacrifice for a year? If we still want to go to the movies, we still want to go out to eat, you know, mama's car insurance has got to be paid. What does that number look like? Boom, we had that snapshot. Then what is it going to take to run my wholesale business, right? If I don't do another deal for 12 months and I still want to keep paying my VA to cold call and I still want to send uh, direct mail, still want to pay my office rent. They'll need to pay for my batch subscription. Like, what does that number look like for 12 months if we don't do another deal? And we came up with two numbers. And my wife looked at me. She said, okay, great. From a security standpoint, when we get liquid, get that liquid in the bank account, in your business bank account, and our personal bank account, then you can quit your job. So we were actively doing wholesale deals. That was our, our paycheck money. And the rentals, we really weren't paying attention to the rentals because uh, there were some rentals that we were having, you know, you, you might net 150, 200 bucks a door per yeah. month. You can't feed your family on that. No. Right? So if you're banking on rentals to quit your W-2, 
Uh, you might be time. there a while. Be right? a long time. Unless you're Tim Brotts, of course. But <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Emmanuel, uh, Roman on Facebook, what are the marketing channels that you're using today? Uh, great question. Um, I'm a, you know, in the South, we have this uh, vernacular, you know, you throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks, right? And that may be everywhere. I don't know. Throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Um, right now, today, we're doing SMS, cold calling, and direct mail. Those are our three. And, and they're great. Like, we're a small team. We're very low-key, low overhead, and it's working. Um, I would love to do some PPC stuff. I would love to do, like, Facebook marketing and Facebook ads. But right now, we're having trouble following up with and managing the deal flow and the, and the lead flow that we have. Yeah. So until we get that ironed out and more systemized and more um, organized, I'm not going to throw money at any other marketing channels. Yeah, so. that's really disciplined. And then that, that's not something most people do. So that's awesome. Uh, and then Trent on YouTube, uh, what criteria are you using to decide whether it's a rental or uh, a flip or wholesale to a buyer? Like what um, keeping versus dispositioning? My wife, right? Uh, prime example, we've got one right now. Um, it could go either way. It could be a great wholesale deal. We could probably make 20 or 25K on it, wholesale deal. We can flip it and make 60 or 70K. Or we could burr it, right? We could go ahead and buy it, take it down. We, we actually, we have already bought it. We could take it down, do a light rehab, put a renter in it. And uh, let me think. We're probably sitting on like 60 or 70K worth of equity, right? All three, this one particular property could work for all three. So what is our criteria? You asked me earlier what my goals were. We're, we're building a new house right now. And we're trying, to, we're trying to stay away from the banks because we don't like going to the banks. Mm-hmm. So one of the promises I'd made mama two years ago was, you let me quit my job, I'll build you your house cash, right? So, um, yeah, mama's saying flip everything. If we, can, if we can go in and spend XYZ, flip it net 50 to 70K, let's do that. I'd right. rather have the 50 or 70K go into the new house um, versus having 70K in equity on paper mm-hmm. or versus the 25K assignment or 30K assignment fee. Yeah. So, um, right now, because we're running so loose, loosey-goosey, wild, wild west, and we have the luxury to kind of pick and choose. We're not, we don't have to do one or the other. Right. And it's, and it's absolutely true, right? The, the, the ability to um, have options. Oh, it's... Right. Yeah. The worst place to be is to not have options. Sure, sure. Uh, okay, so uh, what is your superpower? Connection. Being able to connect people. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I've had to answer this question. I was, I've been able to answer this question over and over again. And I am like, a people person and a relationship person. And um, if you need to get your transmission fixed, right? Like, I may not know the guy, but I know a guy who knows a guy. Mm-hmm. And I find joy in that. I find joy in being able to connect people. So I think that's my superpower. So this is going to sound terrible. Uh-huh. But when I talk about like the skills that from the other industries that translate really well, yeah, that's one of those skills. Connections. Connections. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. From the, from the, from the less than positive <laughs> industry. Yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah, yeah that's, that is one of those skills. Yeah, like, sure. Y- Being resourceful, know. right? Resourceful, yeah. Like, oh, I got, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the greatest lesson that you have learned? I don't want, to come, I don't want this to come across wrong or come across and offend somebody, but just don't be scared, right? There's so many people waiting on the sidelines, waiting to take action, waiting to jump in, but they're scared to death, right? They're scared to call somebody, cold call somebody. They're not going to eat you, mm-hmm. right? The worst comes to worst, they cuss you out, right? Don't be scared. Or I'm scared to buy that first rental property. You know, what if I lose? What if the roof falls in? What if, what if, what if, what if? Mm-hmm. You know? You're never going to get off the sidelines if you're scared. 
Yeah. And and there's an old gangster cliche, scary scary money doesn't make money, or mm-hmm. scared money doesn't make money. Um, you have to be willing to take risk and be okay with taking those risks. And come what may, you're not going to die, right? Like, right. did you die, right? No. Um, I was at Lowe's the other day, and I bumped into a guy that I used to work with in my W-2 uh, past with uh, the boat manufacturing. And we were talking about the rental properties. And yeah, we've got heavy debt. You know, we're, you know, $800,000, $900,000 in debt, right? He's like, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> like a baby. What do you mean, how do I sleep <laughs> at night, right? That $800,000 in debt to the average Joe sounds absolutely crazy, right? Mm-hmm. What if the market shifts? What if the inflation goes up? What if my tenants quit paying me the rent? Well, what if, what if, what if? Don't be scared. That's the lesson. You ask me, yeah. just be willing to. Is that a lesson that you learn though, or is that a lesson that you're sharing? Um, I think it was one of those realiza- realizations. That I guess my question is, was there a time where you were scared to take action? I don't even. I don't want to say the word scared, but maybe unsure. Right? So then, I'm going to ask you that question again. Okay. What is the greatest lesson that you have learned? Um, communicate. Right. Let's see. Let me think about this. Communicate. Like, be willing to communicate your wants, needs, and desires mm-hmm. to the people that you're being intentional to in those rooms, and just watch and see what happens. Right. Uh, if nobody knows you need help, they're not going to help you. Right. So. Be willing to, from the very first meetup that my wife and I went to, be willing to raise your hand and say, I'm the new guy. Here's what I know, and here's what I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you know? That, those kind of things. Yeah. So that's been a big thing for me. And, yeah. and being willing to admit what you know and what you don't know. That's been a big lesson. Yeah, the vulnerability, the authenticity. Oh, absolutely. It's more attractive. I think so, because people, when they see going live on Facebook, right, I have this big thing about not wanting to come across as somebody that I'm not, right? I want to always maintain Shane Nunnan is who Shane Nunnan is. I don't ever want to mislead somebody down the wrong road or you know, puff my chest out like I'm doing this or doing that. And yeah. I'll give you an example. So there are guys in our hometown that are like, oh man, you're killing it. You're rock and rolling. And I have to calm them down. I'm like, this. yes, we're succeeding. Yes, I'm taking care of the family. Yes, we're having fun. But by definition of killing it, what does that mean? Like. I don't want you to be misled by what you see on social media, right? So, right. anyway. Um, what is your favorite, best, or most interesting failure? Best or most interesting failure? Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. I would, this is off the cuff. I'm going to say get in trouble with the law and go, yeah. and go into prison, right? Growing up, there's, no one ever aspires to say, hey, I'm going to go to prison, right? Yeah. But when you say the best and most you say most interesting failure? Mm-hmm. Like that would be by, by average consensus, like going to prison is a failure, right? Like you have failed at something. You failed to obey, obey the law. You have failed to comply with social norms and expectations. But what that did for me, that seven years of incarceration was it gave me time to separate myself from uh, people who may have acted and portrayed as friends who really weren't friends. It gave me the opportunity to gain clarity on who was important in my life, who was going to be there with you through the thick and the thin when the, pardon my French, when the, when the crap hits the fan, when mm-hmm. the shit hits the fan, who's going to be there? That's what prison did for me, right? And I've known several guys who've went to prison and, and one of two things happens. Either you become better or you become bitter. So my greatest, most interesting failure would be mess it up early in life, go into prison, 
learning how to be held accountable, learning how to take responsibility, and learning how to pivot that, own it, own the mistake, and then commit to do better, commit yeah. to do different. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, Erica just did donation, so thank you. Erica says, you learn so much from your mistakes being up front. No, absolutely. Um, is there a book you've gifted more than any other? A book I've gifted more than... I haven't gifted many books, but there has been one, and it's uh, Carlson, Dr. Carlson. I actually just bought another one of his books yesterday. We were thrifting, but it's uh, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and It's All Small Stuff. That's the name of it. Um, you want to uh, share what the, the premise of the book is? So there, there is no like singular premise to the book. Mm-hmm. Each, each chapter or each is broken down in segments, and there's of life situations, right? And Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. It's all small stuff, right? So um, mistakes, for example, like you have to look at a mistake as good or bad or indifferent, right? So on the onset, it may be bad, right? But what are the lessons behind it, right? So don't sweat it because it's a mistake, right? But what can you twist and squeeze out of it to find the positive out of it? That's just, that's one of them, right? And um, the whole book is just chopped up full of those lessons that we all need to be reminded of. Yes, life is serious, but you don't have to take it so seriously. Right. Uh, so I want you to think about something you want to leave the listeners with while I make a couple of quick announcements. Okay. Uh, guys, if you got value today, please like, subscribe, share, and comment. I know I'm asking a lot for you guys. I do it because it helps the algorithm, right? Just being totally honest with you guys. So if you guys would do this, it'll help us reach more people. We want to create more millionaires. It was truly a great pleasure for, me, for myself. Do a hand, Shane, a plaque. We can help more people if we can reach more people. So please help us reach more people. Uh, we do have our sales masterclass coming up on April 22nd. If you guys are interested in that, uh, go to disruptors.com slash sales. Uh, I want to say the sales training. Uh, there you go. Disruptors.com slash sales disruptors. Uh, go there uh, to check out our sales masterclass coming up on April 22nd. And then uh, we just rolled out our social media starter pack. Um, this is something that I never thought it was going to be like a thing, but so many people actually want to <laughs> do what we're doing. So I was like, all right, uh, if you want to, to learn how to do that, um, it won't be from me. It'll be from Xander, the one that's the visionary that's making all this happen. I just show up. You saw this. I yeah, just show yeah, up and yeah. just kind of sit down and just start recording. So if you want the guy that teaches or helps us execute this, go check out our social media starter pack. And next week, we got Eric Klein and Tony Montabano uh, flying in to do our show. Um, what are some last thoughts you want to leave some listeners with? Um, I think a big one for me in this year and like last year is uh, becoming more of a giver. Um, Zig Ziglar, you know, you help enough people achieve what they want to achieve or accomplish what they want to accomplish. And, and in turn, you will accomplish what you want to accomplish. And not that I've ever had like a scarcity mindset, but I've maybe had like a more guarded mindset. And I just want to leave people with the fact that that I find joy in being generous and it's, it's not, it's something relatively new within the last six, my nine months. Like the more that I'm able to talk and the more that I'm able to speak and the more that I'm able to financially give or, you know, buy somebody's lunch or buy somebody's dinner, like those kind of things come back, um, unquantifiable yeah. in regards to a fulfillment and enjoy those kind of things. So absolutely practice and learn and, and look at your life and see how you can become more of a giver. Uh, you'll be surprised what it can do for you. It's, it's readily transparent what it can do for you. Um, I mean, just privately, uh, I've had a couple of people reach out to me and they offer to help me with my business in other aspects. And all they said was like, we like what you're doing. 
Like I've never met them. Didn't even know who they were. Sure. But they were like mega stars from behind the scenes. Oh, wow. And they just reached out like, hey, we like, we like what you're doing and we want to help you grow more, right? That's awesome. So it's just to your point, if you're giving, uh, people want to help you more or you'll, they'll help you in a way that maybe you weren't, uh, didn't know you needed help. Sure. Uh, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Um, quick and easy. I made it quick and easy for you guys. It's uh, www.shaynanen.com. There you go. And then I want to just kind of real quick, just touch on this real quick. And I hope you don't mind me saying this. Sure. But you know, you're saying like you're very humble. Like you're, you're not, you don't have it all figured out. Sure. No. Right. And so I just want to emphasize this point again one more time. Like you guys don't have to have it all figured out. No. You guys just have to take action. Massive and perfect action. Massive and perfect action. That's one of the things I got from your podcast and all the numerous guests, you know, Stephanie Betters, um, Austin Rutherford, Chris Jefferson, Donnie Ruffin, Alex Sines, all step out of your comfort zone, do something that's uncomfortable, take massive and perfect action, and, and just see what happens. Like yeah. The universe is not going to eat you, I promise. <laughs> right? You definitely won't die from doing this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so Dude, much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Steve. Total blast. Yes, absolutely. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys.